two times that I have had to get a ride from complete strangers. I'm just gonna go on a limb here and say, this is maybe an unalike because I'm never going to pick up a stranger. Hey everyone, quick story. As we were headed down the freeway, we got a flat tire. The coolest thing though happened that just warms my heart. Natalie was doing a great job changing the tire, and towards the end, a guy with a family traveling in a van stopped and offered help. He said he had passed us earlier and just had a feeling to turn around. Their family was from Illinois and heading back from the Grand Canyon. When he was done helping us, we thanked him and he walked back to his van. But then, a few minutes later, he came back and said he wasn't sure what faith we were, but asked if he could say a prayer with us right there on the side of the road. He offered the sweetest prayer and then asked God to bless his two friends that they would travel safely. There are still good Samaritans in the world today. And how awesome that he was that bold to stop and pull us aside that in the world today, no matter what faith we were, he could pray on our behalf. That was such a sweet experience. He was so gracious and kind. We just wanted to say thank you to the amazing person who helped two girls on the side of the road. Hi everyone, I'm Chrishell Fulmer. And I'm Natalia Bonner. Welcome to the Unalike Podcast. We're so glad that you're here and joining us for episode three. We've got a great show for you today. And starting off, we're going to talk with you about the holiday that you invented. <laughs> I did. We're also going to be talking about the real-life Morse code that worked and saved three men. Later in the show, we're going to hear from Ashley Stone. She is today's Unalike Hero. She has an amazing story, and we can't wait to share it with you. Okay, so first off, before we get into all that stuff, I definitely have to ask you a couple of things. Okay. So I love that story that you read that Talise shared. That was such a great story. And I love those types of stories, you know, just seeing the positive in the world and knowing that there really is still good out there. So awesome story. Other thing I have to say, though, last week we had talked about your name. You know, it's the elephant in the room. It is. And if you didn't watch last week's episode, make sure you go back and check it out. But I've been watching this Netflix series called Selling Sunset. So it's a series that is this group of real estate agents in California, and they um, sell these high-end homes that are really incredible. I think I like to watch it just to look at the homes. Sure, sure. But of course, there's that drama factor. But one of the agents on there's name is Chrishell. No. So you are not alone. <laughs> there there's is another more one. Of us. Um, but the interesting thing is her name is spelt different. Okay. And I had sure. to write this down because... You know, yeah. there's only one of you, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> but she spells hers C-R-I-S-H-E-L. So okay. it's a slight variation, but yeah, I just had to let you know that you are not maybe unalike. <laughs> <laughs> no longer unalike. I, I'm the cat's out of the bag. There are other Chrishells in the world. Um, or it sounds kind of like Chrishell in her case. Yeah. 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 So I just thought that was really fun that there's another one of you. So moving on, what about your zucchini bread? Okay. Well, I heard from Jen. Jen reached out and said that she loved listening to the episode. Thank you, Jen, for your support and for subscribing. But she did say, after talking about zucchini bread and the Brussels sprouts, <laughs> have you tried them yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Jen asked for a copy of the recipe. So we wanted to let you know we are going to be sharing those recipes. They're going to be on our Facebook page. In fact, they're there now. So go ahead and hop on over on a like podcast on Facebook. Yep. All right. So I have to also tell you, kind of follow up with something we've been talking about. Okay. Remember our rose bushes we talked about in episode one? And yeah, I trim mine with scissors. I yeah. know this is not how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> I keep doing it. So I also have these small palm trees that are, they will grow into large palms someday. But in my yard, I have these small palms. And the other day, I noticed they needed a little pruning. Mm -hmm. So I picked up my scissors and pruned pruned my palm trees. Now, if you didn't know, palms are really, really kind of like a rose. They're very prickly. They have thorns on the palms and they hurt. And I trimmed those with scissors without gloves and I did cut myself. So don't do that. But 
It really worked, though. You used your scissors and you trimmed your palm trees. I did it. Is that how you're supposed to do it? No. <laughs> but that's how I did it. And they looked a little bit better for the day. So well, good. it was all good. There you go. It's a win all the way around. You know, another thing we talked about was uh, the time when I had to catch a ride in order to get to my, my work. Yes. I, I asked a, a couple of strangers for a ride. After we recorded that episode, I thought back and I realized that's not the first time that's happened to me. So it's I can thing. only imagine what kind of stories you would have. I don't have. think you even know this story. I probably do not. <laughs> so once upon a time, <laughs> I was on my way to work. I remember this very clearly. I don't know why I didn't remember before, but about 18 years ago, I was headed into work on a stormy, stormy Sunday afternoon and working in television. I had to be there for the evening newscast, the five o'clock news. So the idea is that you report into work at two in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So I leave my house. I, at the time, I'm living 45 minutes away. I have to drive over a mountain and down into the valley. I mentioned I live in, uh, was working at the station in Salt Lake. So I'm coming down out of the mountains. And uh, once you get into the valley, it's fine. But up there in the mountain, there's still a lot of snow. Mm-hmm. So I did have to drive through that snowstorm. And uh, in my drive, this particular commute, there is one huge hill that you have to climb. Uh There's a few hills, but there's one final one, the final descent, and then it's downhill, down into the valley. Okay. I'm heading up that hill, and I'm doing good (laughs) in my little Honda Civic with not four-wheel drive. And uh, the cars in front of me started to slow down, slower, 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 creeping now. I had to come to a complete stop, and once I did, in all of the slush, my Honda Civic would never go anymore. I couldn't go to get up the hill. Okay. And so I don't know what I did with my car. It's weird how I have (laughs) these memory blocks, but I know that I ended up in the home of a woman and her daughter in that neighborhood there off the freeway. And so really, I don't know if I just parked. You just left it. I kind of think there is a frontage road. So perhaps I got off and thought maybe I could take the frontage road and bypass. That probably makes sense. Somehow, I I don't know how I ended up at their house. That part of the story is foggy to me. But I ended up there. They told me they could give me a ride. They were in a big SUV. And so they did. But before we took the ride, they invited me into their home, told me I could leave my car there. And uh, I mean, it it all worked out. I got to work. I do remember (laughs) they were not in a hurry. And I don't think people understand working in news. If you have a deadline, it's not like well, eight o'clock, we can push to 8.05. No, like the example I used to always give, if you're watching the evening news and you're waiting for the Simpsons to come on, the Simpsons come on at six Mm o'clock. They don't come on at 6.03 because you needed three more minutes. These women did not understand that concept. (laughs) They were very much moving on their own standard time. I think I rolled into work around 5.30. (laughs) Between driving slow in the snow, getting to their house and then being at their mercy, it wasn't, and my boss was cool and I think called in someone to rescue the show so they could go on with the news. <laughs> Two times that I have had to get a ride from complete strangers. I'm just going to go on a limb here and say this is maybe an unalike because I'm never going to pick up a stranger. It's just how, and I'm, yeah, but I would be so fascinated to know. If you guys have done this before, if you've ever picked up a stranger or if you've ever been the person that needed a ride, leave a comment and let us know because this is super fascinating to me. Obviously, there are times when people do need help like that. It's just not in my nature. So you've never picked up a hitchhiker? I've definitely been in the car when hitchhikers were picked up by my parents, but I'm never probably going to do that. It's probably right there with my Brussels sprout (laughs) issue. (laughs) I have done it. You have done both. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So what's the good news? Well, uh, I think we should talk about Alex Smith. I definitely think we should too. Okay. So Alex Smith is someone who, for those of you who do not follow football, he played for my alma mater, the University of Utah, and graduated just a couple of years after me. But you follow him and, and you don't necessarily cheer for my school, but you yes. still love him as well. <laughs> He has a tie to our state, obviously, because he went to college here. So it's just a name that I've always heard of. And my husband recently shared this. It was an ESPN kind of a docu-series. I think it was called ESPN The Show or something like that. 
Um, anyways, on there, it just kind of shared Alex Smith's story. And it was a story that I had not seen really anywhere. I knew that something had happened in his career and he wasn't playing anymore. And so my husband shared this show with me and we watched it and it was so fascinating and so much hope and encouragement. And basically what happened was he was playing football and he was tackled and his leg broke. That's the short end of the story. And he ended up having surgery, which he ended up getting a pretty bad infection and which resulted in 17 surgeries and almost losing his life. It was pretty, pretty bad. And we never heard about it. So just this week in the news, I noticed that he is back practicing with his team. And I, you know, I don't know that he'll ever play again. I don't know anything about his situation more than that, but I definitely can tell you that I'm so inspired by his drive and his courage and being told that he was going to lose his leg or lose his life at one point mm -hmm. and that he has worked so hard on a goal of his. You know, might not be the same goal that everybody has, but it's his goal and to work to the point where he could even practice with his team is pretty inspiring and pretty amazing yeah. to me. Get back on the field. Yeah. So the last time I came to your house, Brad made me watch that documentary. Yeah. And he insisted I sit down on the couch. He told me you can't be standing. I think he knows that I ha the, the Whitings have a history of passing out. Um, but he insisted that I watch. And so we, you and I watched together mm -hmm. and it's compelling because they show you all of these pictures that his family has taken through his journey. Mm -hmm. Clear back to the beginning ones when you just see the, the leg with the injury. Yeah. And it, looks like a normal leg with an injury. Yeah. And and it doesn't look bad compared to what's about to happen. Yeah. And then they show you that. And we're not going to give it away. You, this is something you need to go and watch because truly without seeing it, it's hard to believe really what he's been through. But mm -hmm. I, this happened in 2018. Mm -hmm. So for us even to sit and talk about this today, it's something he's been living for the past two years, day in, day out, going yeah. to therapy, um, and having the mindset that there would be a day when he got back out on the field. Yeah, definitely. And I also thought watching it was pretty inspirational. And I think that you could relate to some of the struggles. You know, they interview his wife a lot. And just, you know, it's because her husband was injured. It impacted the whole family. It wasn't just. Yeah, I, I mentioned that I have followed Alex for a long time given that we went to the same school. But while I lived in Milwaukee, we had the opportunity to attend a couple of Packers games. And one of those was the game, a Monday night football game back in 2015 when Alex Smith came to town and played against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. It was a torrential downpour. And that's what I remember was that they, it poured so hard, but and the Packers won. Um, but I got to see Alex and got to watch him play in person. And of course, after the uh, time that he spent in Kansas City, he moved to Washington and, and spending time out in D.C. now. So uh, you mentioned um, watching his wife and she's interviewed in the documentary and and of course shares her side of the story. And that was very relatable for me because my first husband um, had some severe injuries that we worked through and, and dealt with while we were married. And ultimately it ended up in him having his leg amputated. Mm -hmm. There is something about having a limb cut off that you cannot understand without having to go through it yourself, yeah. um, or go through it as a spouse in my case. And I, you know, even for me to be at his side, I cannot relate to everything he went through mentally, mm -hmm. but I can tell you that it was, well over a year that he sat and thought every single day about his future mm -hmm. and what life would be like should that limb be removed. Mm -hmm. And and I remember after, after the operation, we talked about how everybody gets caught up in the procedure itself. And then you stop and forget about what happens when that person goes home, so putting a prosthesis on, you don't wear that prosthesis 24-7. You don't wear it to bed. Mm -hmm. uh, but nobody sees that. That's usually what happens behind closed doors. And so he would come in the house. He would take that prosthesis off, and he's handicapped. Mm -hmm. He was using a wheelchair. He's getting around the house in that manner. And uh, 
I relate that back to Alex Smith. So talking about him and his wife, and certainly this, these were all scenarios that they had to face. Um, and, and ultimately, as we heard, that even he might lose his life because of mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, well, I just lost the word, but the because of an infection, the infection, mm-hmm. yeah, the infection that set in. So, we just want to say uh, to women from Utah that we are so proud of you. We've been cheering <laughs> for you for a long time, mm-hmm. and for everyone who hasn't followed the story, go look it up, and it will absolutely. Uh, you know, if there's a comeback story out there, this is the one that you should be following. Absolutely. Super inspiring. Okay. So you had talked about being at that game though, and it was raining so hard. Yes. And I have to tell you that this crazy little thing over the, just recently last weekend, we had a rainstorm at my house and we've gone quite a long time without rain. Like you live in the desert. <laughs> we live in the desert. We don't get rain. But every once in a while, we will get a rainstorm. And it's like a rainstorm. You know, these rainstorms are fun. However, this time we had lightning. And also, we didn't know that this storm was coming. It was a 10% chance of rain that day. Nobody was prepared for this rainstorm. This black cloud all of a sudden starts approaching over the mountain. And we knew this looks like it's going to be big. So we start you know, are just going around about our night and all of a sudden there's this loud lightning and then, or loud thunder and then lightning and it just keeps coming. And it felt like at one point our house was under attack and we look out our front door and we notice our neighbors are outside doing the same thing because lightning is striking so close to our home. So at that point I'm excited because I love the rain and I love lightning and thunder. And I just, there's something about it that it's nature and this is cool. So we get in the car and go out and drive. And right then we watched some lightning strike the hill right behind our house. And as it struck the mountain on our, the mountain right behind our home started on fire. And this instilled quite a bit of fear. You know, this, we live in the desert. It's very dry. And now we have a fire right outside our home. So we sat there for a few minutes. I was actually in the car with my brother and he called 911. So they came, the crews arrived pretty quickly. And as they showed up, the rain just poured and that fire went out and everybody was okay. It was the most like amazing thing that this is nature and this is really what's supposed to happen. But it was just really kind of a simple thing to realize it's okay. It was scary for a minute, but we survived. The fire did not hurt anybody. We were all Okay. So. I, I know that when it rains, that living in a dry climate, to all of a sudden get a storm, there's something fascinating. Yeah. About you want to go outside and watch it. Yes. When but, you don't get it, you're, you're really excited about rain. So Yeah. yeah I, I yeah. can imagine that excitement turning all of a sudden to sheer terror. Yeah, exactly. So, but we're all good. There was definitely, there was actually quite a bit of flooding in our town that happened, Um crazy flooding, but they're rebuilding and recovering and it's good. Hopefully everybody's on the mend. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Storms happen a lot across the country. I know we've recently had some devastating hurricanes touching down in the South and we, gosh, avalanches in the North in the winter and we have hurricanes, we have tornadoes in the Midwest, fires, wildfires, really Mm -hmm. bad throughout the West. Uh, each of those can be a personal tragedy. And for everyone who is experiencing that right now, we just want to say our hearts are with you and we really wish you a safe recovery. Absolutely. So let's move on and uh, go to my favorite segment of the show. It's time for Say What, So What. Alrighty. (laughs) So you have a brand new holiday. I do. It's been around for a couple of years. It has. You invented it yourself. I did. Well, tell us all about it. We can't wait to hear about the holiday that you invented. Okay. So about three years ago, my, well, it was three years ago, my youngest child went to all day school. And (laughs) if you're a parent that has your kids home, okay, let's add this. I am a parent that has kids at home, but I'm also working from home. I love my children and I loved having them home with with me and I've loved being able to work at home with them, but sometimes you need (laughs) a little bit of a break. So the first day that my kids, both of them went to all day school, I got this brilliant idea and I told my husband, you need to take a day off work and we are inventing a holiday. It's called Parents Day. You know, there's Mother's Day. Day, there's Father's Day, there's secretary's day, there's grandparents day. Like what about the parents? (laughs) 
why don't we get a date? So I invented Parents' Day, and I'm I'm going to tell you exactly how it works because this is my <laughs> new national holiday. I've now celebrated it three years in a row. I'm, it's pretty amazing. So you wake up in the morning. You don't go to work this day. You okay. wake up. <laughs> you go to the gym because you have a, to do your... It's a national holiday in the Bonner household. Yes. This is a holiday. And I even know that other families have started doing this. Okay. We got to get back to the story though. So you wake up in the morning and you go to the gym. Then when you get home to the gym, you are from the gym, you and your significant other have breakfast together like a gourmet breakfast you know good breakfast and then you spend the rest of the day doing whatever you want because you have no kids at home i have a swimming pool so you can probably just imagine what happens at my house but let's just say it's the best day of the year and you should all participate in parents day use the hashtag share it with us tag us online and tell us if you start your own parents' day, but it's supposed to happen on the first day that all of your kids are in all-day school and you continue it every year on the first day of school after that. We want to so. hear what you're doing to celebrate parents' day. We want to know, because everybody has different things that are fun. You've got the advantage of having a pool, but maybe there's someone who likes to go golfing. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about that maybe at our house, my husband, Dustin, ever since he heard about this idea, has been pushing for it and saying, we should go to the lake. Yeah, whatever so. it is, it's good to just connect with your significant other on that day. You deserve it. <laughs> well, I think it's a great day. I, I think that... Uh, <laughs> We should all be celebrating Parents' Day. What if you are an empty nester? You can have Parents' Day every day. <laughs> That's You've worked hard enough. You deserve it every day. But really, in my mind, it's us parents that still have young kids at home. Sometimes we deserve a break, I too. Agree. I agree. So. Even grandparents have a day yeah. on the calendar. Yeah. So there so should be. Parents deserve one too. So I've got a really good story for you. This is about three men who were on a boat, speaking of going to the <laughs> lake, but a 23 foot boat sailing in the Pacific Ocean and they got lost. Oh. Okay. So they thought that they were taking a small trip, 23 miles, I think, 29 miles, and they got off course. They oh. lost where they were going to and ended up stranded on a deserted island. Stayed there for three days. Wow. So a real life, just like in the movies, stranded on the <laughs> island. Our producer, Brandon, started singing Gilligan's Island a few minutes ago. Um, but they realized they needed help. And so they put up a distress signal. Wow. A real old-fashioned SOS in the sand. Because that's an international yeah. distress signal that comes from Morse code. Mm -hmm. And somebody flying by saw it. And they came in with food and water. They rescued the three men. They made it safely back. That's awesome. And it's awesome for a couple of reasons. Yeah. Because it is something you see in the movies or whatever. And kind of wonder if that would actually really ever happen. If you did that, would somebody really see it? Like, is that... Really a thing. And you have just proved that. Yeah. It still happens it. and it works. SOS, don't forget. Okay. So earlier this week, we had the opportunity to catch up with Ashley Stone. Mm -hmm. She is our first Unalike Hero. We're going to be introducing guests to you every week who have amazing stories to share. Here's a look back at the things we were able to talk with her about. Hey, Ashley. Thanks so much for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is very exciting for us. So tell us what you and the family have been up to during the COVID outbreak. Well, um, I can tell you what we haven't been up to, which is uh, going to Hawaii like we planned, going to a Taylor Swift concert like I was so excited about. That's all been canceled. Um, but I think, oh, and um, my husband had a big flip and flight event that got canceled too. So good times. Um, but we, it's actually been really awesome because, um, my husband usually travels a ton for work and we worked at home with, um, our kids and that was an adventure, but it was really cool to be able to spend a lot of time together. And I was like, wow, I don't think our marriage has ever been better besides like when we were in quarantine together, which is kind of weird because, you know, you're in close quarters and whatever, but it was, it's been really awesome. We've, we've just been able to enjoy a lot of time together. So it's good. 
That's good. Uh, tell me about the kids. How are they doing? Good. So I have um, Jane, who's four, and she is um, a little ball of energy. And I have um, a two-month-old baby, Calvin, and he is an absolute angel baby. He makes me want to have like a bunch more. I mean, not really, but uh, he does. He's so sweet. And um, yeah, he's just the best baby ever. And so, yeah. 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 So How good. old is Calvin now? He's two months. Yeah. So for, for everyone listening and watching four year old and a, and a newborn basically. And, uh, I saw he was born just in the middle of the summer. And I saw, I think you were like three days out of the hospital and you were out at a fireworks stand helping to promote your husband's business. And I was like, she looks like she just walked off the beach and not out of a hospital room. (laughs) Well, um, Thank you. That's so, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, for everybody, especially for everyone watching on YouTube, I, I'm just going to be a little bit blunt and say that you are beautiful. And I, for everyone who's listening, Ashley has dark brown hair and long wispy curls. She has a beautiful smile. She and her husband, we're, we're going to put up some family photos, but her husband has blonde hair and he's in very good shape and pretty much we're looking at Ken and Barbie when we look at the two of you together. I mean that. So uh, take us back to a time many years ago and tell us, you know, it, it, it hasn't always been this picture perfect situation mm-hmm. for you. Right. Right. So we're going to let you just take it away and talk with us a little bit about your story. Okay. So, um, well, I'll take it way back and um, say that, well, first of all, I am seven and a half years clean from a heroin addiction. And um, I was in and out of jail, in and out of rehab, um, in the drug court program in my town. Um, yeah, dark times. And, um, but, going all the way back, um, I started my life in a very good family. I'm the middle of five kids and I was raised in a very religious household and, um, I was a very good girl. I, in my earlier years in elementary, I was always like the top of my class, like really, um, just always wanted to do the right thing and be good. And, um, then in about like sixth, seventh grade, I started to um, feel, you know, the middle school thing that we all go through, you know, the awkward, um, like uncomfortable in our own skin type feeling. And um, I started to um, just not care as much about being good, I guess. And um when I was in the summer after eighth grade, so right before ninth grade, um, I was hanging out with some friends and there was a kid that was like this popular kid from the basketball team at the high school. And I thought he was so cool. And um, him and his cousin came over to my friend's house and they had um, marijuana and they, um, they said like, do you guys want to smoke with us or whatever? And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, what do I do? Like, I, I was like waiting for this feeling of like, don't do it, stop. But I just was like, I, it didn't really come. And so I was like, I'm just going to try it. And I tried it and nothing really happened. But um, that just knowing that I did that kind of like opened this door to um, feeling like, well, I did that. So I might as well try this. And um, the first time that I drank alcohol was really like, that feeling of oh my gosh I have confidence for the first time in my life like I feel like I can go up and talk to anybody um I feel like just so like confident in my own skin for the first time and when I was drinking I could look in the mirror and be like I actually like think I look cute when I always thought that I was like not cute enough or not skinny enough or not pretty enough or not cool enough. And for the first time I felt those things and it kind of triggered this um, 
wanting to drink every weekend and then it triggered wanting to drink like every day um and I would save my lunch money that my mom would give me to buy marijuana on the weekends and wow. um yeah and I was only in ninth grade at this time but I just I wanted to just try all these different things um, me and my friends were hanging out with like way older guys um it was crazy so um my sophomore year in high school I um was just kind of going off the deep end I didn't care about school um I was just drinking and doing pills and all kinds of stuff and um I went to, I ended up going to the alternative school in my town for where all like the teen pregnant girls go and all the um you know druggy kids that got kicked out of school and um I went there and um one day I was just planning on dropping out basically I didn't care I was dating this guy who was 21 I was 16 and um I just decided I was going to drop out of school and I went in to my school one day to tell them that I wanted to get packets which is like school at home and I don't know if I really thought I was going to do those or what but um it was just like a weird thing that I went to school that day to tell them I was going to drop out and I show up and there's <laughs> I I show up and there's these two guys they're all dressed in black and they're like if you don't cooperate we're going to handcuff you and I'm like what what is going on and my parents were in the next room and um they just had this look of like just heartbreak um and I just like shook my head like what are you guys doing um I, they hadn't seen me in like two weeks like I had I was like living with my friend and they had no idea where I was they didn't know what to do um and I got sent to a program called Cross Creek in Laverton, Utah and it's a lockdown facility for troubled teenagers <laughs> and um I yeah, it's actually shut down now. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that Paris Hilton's coming out with like this big um, thing about a school that she went to, a similar school, and how it like, I don't know, caused a lot of trauma for her or whatever. It's kind of like a, a like going on in the news about these schools. And so anyway, I went to one of those schools um this school when I got there they took everything from me you can't squeeze your eyebrows you can't shave your legs you can't shave your armpits you can't um yeah that was no razors like the worst part yeah no razors um you can't have makeup um nothing like that and um you they have different processes like where you have to be on silence you can't talk to anybody for like a month and um just a lot of different things like it was it was very intense and um but I went in there um at first I was kind of like where the heck am I what is going on this is so weird um but I decided to comply with the program and do what they asked me to do and um after I had been in there for about um like seven months um I joined the cross-country team and um i loved it and that taught me something really cool i just fell in love with running and um it was an outlet that i hadn't really experienced before and it was a challenge and i really loved that um, and i became the cross-country captain and um yeah it was just really cool um so then i graduated the program when i was just about to turn 18 and um I stayed sober for about two months and then went right back to the same boyfriend that I was with before I I went to the program and um started drinking again and quickly went down like a spiral um so I the, so the program did not work well so I think that what it did was it kept me safe for those younger years. Like I don't, I would have never graduated high school had I not gone there. Um, it taught me that I could be sober. Like before I went there, I, I couldn't go one day without drinking or using drugs. And 
Um, and at 16, that's pretty sad, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't know how to function without being high and, or drunk or something. And, um, so it taught me that I did have it in me and I could have an enjoyable life without that. Um, so it laid some foundation in my mind for, um, for the future, I guess. And I don't regret my time there at all. I actually, um, my therapist from that program, he still to this day is like, he stays in contact with me. He supports me. Like he's, he's like a, he was like a father figure to me in that program. And he still to this day is just like amazing support for me and other girls that were in that program. And I like, will always love him for that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of girls that are very resentful about their stay in the program and um, did not like, you know, they're, it was traumatic for them. But for me, it's like, I, I'll defend my time in there because like, I don't think I would be who I am today without that experience. So, yeah. So let me ask after you finished up at that program, get out and a couple months down the road, you end up back with the same boyfriend and old habits start sneaking back in. So what happened next? So um, I just went down this like deep, dark hole. I was like living with my boyfriend, um, doing drugs. Um, and that is when I, I, I had tried heroin before I went to that program, but I only did it maybe like once or twice. And um, I started doing heroin with my boyfriend and um, that, changed my life for like ever I um once you start doing heroin if you do it like two days in a row three days in a row like you're hooked you can't you can't function normally without it like you're so sick if you don't have it and when you're high you're like okay I need to get sober but then when you're not high anymore and you're sick the only thing that's going to make you feel better is getting high again and it's this vicious cycle that you can't break and unless you have like serious help or some serious willpower that most people just can't can't muster um so that just shot me into this really dark world um and I tried a lot of different things to, to get clean I went to the methadone clinic um that didn't work I was just drink turned into an alcoholic basically um I went to rehab after rehab and um nothing was helping me um I ended up going to jail and I was in jail for three and a half months in um southern Utah and um that was an experience they when I got there they called me princess prissy pants and (laughs) I was just it was crazy. Like I, I befriended some really awesome people though, that kind of like looked out for me in there because I was, um, I don't know, like it was, it was a crazy experience. I got threatened to be beat up. Um, I had a, my friend, her name's Misty Blue and she, uh, totally stuck up for me. She actually came to my wedding. We, she's like, awesome. I love her so much. Um, and I, then I went to, um, a rehab after that and got into the drug court program. So the drug court program is a very intense program where you get drug tested all the time. You have to get a job. It basically helps you get back on your feet, but it's a court ordered program. And I did that. Um, and when I was in the program, I turned 21 and so after I graduated the program, I was like, I'm 21 now. I can drink. It's fine. Like, how could I ever have fun again if I wasn't drinking? Like, I couldn't imagine a, a life without alcohol at least, you know. And um, so I started drinking again. And um, it didn't take long until I was um, back on drugs. And um, I moved to Arizona. I was in a really bad situation with um drugs and alcohol like I lived in a basically a drug house with my this boy that I met out there um 
and his the whole family was either doing drugs or selling drugs and I lived there for like a year and it was a really dark scary place and my parents they were um they tried so hard to like get me out of there but I was just sick and I was stuck I couldn't leave I I I felt like I was just completely stuck in this um house because I had the drugs that I needed to feel well. And um, my dad came down there multiple times to try and save me and take me to detox. But it, it takes like, I don't know, like two months before you're even like rid, like before you can even get rid of like the, the shakes and the night terrors and the, it's just really bad. It's a really hard thing to get rid of. And um, so anyway, um, I was in this, house living there um and then I one day my dad um came out to Arizona from Utah and he left his job he left um he's just like hey I I gotta go came and picked me up from this house in the middle of the night and um one thing that he said was the brother of my boyfriend was there and he came out and told my dad he's like take me with you take me with you Mm. um because he was you know we we all wanted to be done with it we all would all make these plans of how we were going to get clean and um we just couldn't stop and so my dad came and he got me in the car and um we had called um rehab like all across um California Arizona Utah trying to find a place for me to go and um he finally called the Salvation Army in Fresno, California, and they had an open bed. Um, so he's like, Ashley, if I take you to Fresno, are you going to do the program? Or are you going to run away? And I said, um, it was like that moment that I was like, I don't think I have it in me anymore. Because not only did I have to find the drugs all the time, but I had to find the money for the drugs. And I had to sell my stuff and I was stealing and it was just this huge lifestyle of just pain and running and sickness and darkness. And so it was that moment that I was just like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't think I can take one more day of, of stealing to get money for drugs and then being sick. I just don't think I can take it. So I put my seatbelt on. And I was like, let's go. <laughs> so we drove um, from Arizona to Fresno, California. It was a really long drive. Mm-hmm. And um, how was I that conversation with your dad? It was my dad is like a superhuman. Basically, he he cried basically the whole way there and just like bawled. He thought, you know. I, here I am. I have like track marks all over my arms. I'm like a complete mess. Like I am so skinny, like a hundred pounds. I'm like just desperate for just something to fill that void in me. I snuck out and got drunk at Chili's down the road when my dad, we were like staying in a hotel on the way. Like I just needed something to fill that void all the time. And, um, I had all these like Xanax pills that I got that were actually prescribed to me and I was just eating them by the handful and my dad was like just waiting for me to die or something he's just like oh my gosh like she is so crazy like how do I contain her well um so we finally make it to Fresno and um I go to this detox it's a free detox for Fresno County residents and there is Fresno is famous for its gangs. I don't know if anybody listening is familiar with Fresno, but um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of people that are very hardcore in this detox, this free detox. And um, I went in there and I just, it was a cold turkey detox. So every detox I'd been to in the past um, had been like loading me full of, you know, Xanax or whatever, like pills to make the detox not as bad and to kind of soothe the pain and this detox was a cold turkey detox and it was um just very kind of in the ghetto like very run down um 
but I just laid on that bed and detoxed from heroin, meth, Xanax, everything like you can imagine. And I was there for 10 days and um, then the Salvation Army, well, my dad actually came back. He, he left me in the detox in Fresno. Then he went home and went to work. And then he came back to Fresno just to drive me from the detox to the Salvation Army, which was like a couple miles down the road. Um, he was always there for me. He never gave up on me. Um, anyway, so yeah, I went to Salvation Army when I first got there. I was like, this is what the heck? Like, this is a work-based program. I'm working 40 hours a week for free. Like, I can't believe this. And I thought I, I would write my parents and say, this is slave labor and blah, blah, blah. And, um, but after a couple months in there, um, I started to feel like grateful that I was there. I felt like it was the place that I was supposed to be. And um, by the time I left the program, it was like, I still didn't know if I was able to stay sober for the rest of my life. Um, but I decided like I had nothing to lose. Like I was just going to give it a try. And I, um, my faith is a huge part of why I'm sober today. Um, I decided to like go back to my church and, um, just kind of surrender my life to that. And, um, doing that basically, I was like, I'm just going to give it a try. I have nothing left to lose. Um, I got out of Salvation Army and had nothing. Like, I was starting over. I was 23. And, um, yeah, I had, I just had nothing. And so I, um, I started going to church. I got a job. I, um, I got a really good job doing sales in California. And um, it was, there was a really good group of guys that I worked with. And um, it, I realized like I had a knack for doing sales and that kind of opened up this door for me. And, um, I had to go turn myself into tent city jail in Arizona because, um, I had a DUI there that I never had taken care of. And, um, that was crazy. Like I was like two years sober and, um, I'm checking myself into the jail and I had, one of my church leaders in California, he contacted a cousin that he had um, in Arizona and was like, hey, can this girl come stay with you? She has to check herself into the jail and be on house arrest out there. And I'm sure that they were like, uh, what the heck? You know, like, no, but they actually did. They let me come live with them for, I think it was like five months maybe. And, um, so the the mom her name's Stacy her husband is actually a judge in Arizona which is crazy and um they called me their adopted daughter now and um they just brought me and let me live with them and her husband who's a judge was driving me to the jail so I could check myself <laughs> in and do my time in the jail and picking me up and I was on house arrest with this ankle monitor at their house for like a month and we had Christmas together and I had to blow in this thing every night, like to make sure I wasn't drinking. And it was, we all like laugh about it today. And we are still to this day, like the very best of friends. And it was just crazy that I was dreading going to this jail. I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is terrifying. Joe Arpaio, Sheriff Joe Arpaio is like famous in Arizona for having this, the worst jail like ever. And I was going to this jail, Tent City, and um, I was in Arizona when I um, reconnected with my now husband. And um, he, I saw on Facebook that he was working at a treatment facility. And he, the interesting thing is that he actually has a very similar past to me. He was a heroin addict as well. Um, and we both lived in St. George and were kind of in and out of the same um groups and but we never crossed paths um we actually met at a 12-step meeting when I was 18 and we are we never saw each other since um and so I noticed he was working at a treatment center and I reached out to him and um I was just like hey that's so awesome that you're doing this now like it looks like you're doing really good and um we just started talking and um he um 
basically said like you should come visit me and if you come visit me you're gonna fall in love with me and I was like uh okay famous last words <laughs> yes exactly and um so I I went out there and I visited him and um we did fall in love and we were engaged <laughs> just a few months later and then married a few months after that and um so and we both obviously he's also seven and a half years sober as well um and so it's just like totally crazy coincidence that we both got sober at like the same time and um but we didn't use together and we also like grew up in the same town um and one of the really awesome parts about um having our stories be so similar is we're able to go and share our stories with um we've talked at the jail or the prison actually in Draper. Um, we've talked to a lot of different youth groups um, right. and basically like, sharing Draper just for people outside of Utah. You're talking about the state prison. Yes, yes, sorry. Um, yes, the state prison in Utah. Um, we spoke there and um, yeah, we've we've spoken to a lot of different youth and um, adults and um, the biggest, the best thing about that is that we're able to take all of that horrible stuff that we went through and use it for something good because the, the whole goal is that we can plant a seed in these kids' lives that we're talking to and say like, hey, this is what happens if you choose to go down this path. This is where it leads. And if you um, haven't I mean, if you've already started to go down that path, um, I want, I, we try to like plant a seed for there's hope for you. You can come back from all of this, you know? And so anyway, um, yeah, I, Jesse and I, that's been, we also are, we work as, um, facilitators for 12 step meetings and, um, we have a goal that we want to open a treatment program one day. That's like, we would love to do something like that. And we Tell are kind of like dabbling. Program is. So um, the 12 step program is, um, if you've ever heard of Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, um, basically the, there's 12 steps that lead you, um, I mean, to help you recover. Um, the first step is admitting that you have a problem. Um, and it just takes you through like basically repairing the damage of your past and you they encourage you to work with a sponsor um to work through these steps and um yeah it's proven to be very helpful for many recovering addicts and alcoholics and um yeah Ashley, so if that makes sense. <laughs> what's been the hardest part of it all um, I think the hardest part is, well, the hardest part was definitely in the beginning, um, the first year to two years, um, because I just didn't, I had to be uncomfortable, like with who I am for the first year or two of sobriety. Um, but I'm so incredibly grateful that I stuck it out for those really hard first two years, because my life is more amazing than I could have ever imagined um, back then. I, I look at my kids and I'm just like, I can't believe they're mine. Like, I can't believe that I was able to have these beautiful children and I have this amazing husband because I was destined to basically be dead had I kept going down that road. And um, I actually work for a software company today that does um, like the the um, medical record side of addiction recovery programs. So I'm able to go to conferences all the time and um, connect with people that are in the addiction recovery space. And it's been so cool for me to be involved in that um, community and to just kind of connect with these people. And we we just love it because it's basically taking so much of the pain that we went through where we, we didn't see that there was like a bright future ahead of us. Like we, we didn't see that. It seems so far out of reach and so impossible, but just taking one little step at a time um, and like not looking at, okay, 
it's going to take me this many years or it's going to be this huge amount of time before I'm ever normal again or whatever. But like just taking one baby step at a time has led us to this point. And it's been a really beautiful experience. You have also talked a lot about your dad and how much he was there for you. I, you have shared with me in the past that and I hope he doesn't mind us sharing this, but you, you've told me before that your dad pretty much emptied his retirement savings to help put you through a couple of different recovery programs. Um, and now you're a parent. So my, my question is for the parents who are listening, we know we've got many, many parents who follow along. What would you offer to the parents and what's your advice to them who have a son or a daughter struggling with addiction? So um, one very interesting thing is that, yeah, my dad, they actually refinanced the house. Um, they had to do a lot of different things to pay for all these programs for me. Um, but the interesting thing is uh, where the place where I actually changed my life was at the Salvation Army, which is a free program. So if anybody knows, like has an adult child that is um, struggling with addiction, I highly recommend the Salvation Army. It's an amazing program. Um, and, uh, but I would say um, one interesting thing was my mom, she was still raising kids at home and she had to really like kind of disconnect from me. And she had to tell my little sister um, like, hey, Ashley is probably going to die and we need to be prepared for that because we're probably going to lose her. And she didn't want my sister to be blindsided if that happened. And, um, so my mom like really kind of had a disconnect from me because I was just a mess and like destroying everything around me. And my dad, he, he was the one that was willing to, um, you know, go through the trenches with me and, um, I, I, I understand what my mom had to do. She, like, I can see how she had to protect the other kids in the house. And um, so I, I mean, the biggest thing I would say is don't give up because I couldn't have been here today without my dad and him not giving up on me because I don't know. I think most people would feel like giving up after everything I put him through, but he never gave up and he always had hope for me that I would pull out of it. And um, without his like faith in me, I don't think I could have done it. And so I would say, don't give up. Um, turn to the resources that are out there because there is an entire community of people that are in sobriety and a support network out there. And it's like this whole world of of people out there that are just waiting to help the addict that still suffers and waiting to help the parents of the addict that are going through this. Um, so just reach out. You're not alone. Like there are people who want to be there for you. And um, especially the parents too, there's a program called Al-Anon and it's specifically for the families of um, addicts and alcoholics. What else would you like to share today? Um, <laughs> well, um, probably just that if you're going through something really hard, that, um, you can make it out the other side and that, um, that there is a purpose in the pain that we go through, um, that we can, once we've like made it through these struggles, um, we can look back and see the purpose in it. Um, like now I feel like I'm able to use all these experiences and share them with you guys and tell you what I went through and make it something positive instead of, um, you know, obviously it's like, yeah, I was like a horrible person that did a bunch of drugs and stole stuff and whatever, but I, I can like set aside my pride and like share that with you guys because I feel like um, it's important for people to know that change is possible and um, anybody can change. If I can do it, like anybody can do it. And I think that's the real message that I want to hit home at today. That's a great message. Thank you. I, you know, Ashley, I feel like as I've gotten older, I've learned that we all face challenges, but I think that we face challenges that come in, in different ways. And so maybe what was a challenge for you is something I may never experience, 
but we've talked here on the on the podcast about some of the challenges I've faced in my life and uh, nothing relative to anything you've been through. And so we all go through different things. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of what we love about this show is being able to bring guests like you on and to hear the experiences others have been through. They're all amazing. And, and then to see somebody like you come through and be on the other side is inspiring to all of us. Mm -hmm. Well, I, and that's, the thing about it is like, Chriselle, you and I have spent a lot of time talking and relating like things that we've been through and just like experiences that we've had. And I feel like we could just talk for hours and hours because even though it's true that what we've been through is so different, um, the lessons that we've learned, I think, and the strengths that come from the things that we've talked about, it's like pretty amazing just to see how um, pain can bring like beautiful enlightenment to your life like if you let it and there's there is like so much more on the other side of it well it's been so much fun catching up with you I'm glad to hear things yeah. are going well and that you guys are hanging in there during this pandemic so we're yeah. going to um, conclude this conversation here but for anyone who has been listening and following along we will link to some of those sites that Ashley talked about today over on our Facebook page and we will um, provide further information about addiction help and recovery services. I love that story. Ashley is so inspirational. You know, she's been through a lot. A lot of us have been through a lot, but it's always inspirational to hear other people's story. And maybe it's something that can help each of us become the best versions of ourselves. So yeah, that absolutely. was awesome. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks for sharing with us. I, I know that you're going to inspire many out there. And we really appreciate you being willing to uh, visit with us today. So one last thing I want to share before we close, I was recently having a lot of stress over sharing my photos on my hard drive. I have this technology deficit disorder. And in many ways, number one, I don't have enough space to save photos. Number two, trying to convert from this platform to this platform, from this mm -hmm. device to that one stresses me out. And so, but I, I'm not dumb. I know to use my hard drive and, and have a backup. However, I got the wise idea to use an online storage service and not mess with the hard drive anymore. So I began to convert all of my pictures. This was over a year ago. Okay. And I was going to convert something like four years worth of photos all okay. at once. I hit cut and paste and then sat there and watched the little green bar came up. It started going across my screen. Okay, it's working. And I walked away from my computer. I think uh -huh. I was doing it overnight. So I went to bed, got up in the morning and that little green bar was gone. So I'm like, cool, it worked. Yeah. And I shut my computer, put the hard drive away, left and uh, days went by, maybe weeks. I was talking to a friend who does work in the IT world and I was having him help me with the computer. He was looking at a couple of things and I said, well, you know, I've, I've got a bunch of videos over there on the cloud now. He looks and says, there's nothing there. Nothing. Oh. But remember, I had done control X. So for the entire past year, I've had this pit in my stomach. Every time I think about, I did, I called the company. I asked about being able to retrieve that. Well, I didn't call till three months later. <laughs> so they did still have them and they said they could help me. I was wow. calling from my cell phone. We sat, we started working through it. And then we got to a certain point where she said, okay, now I need you to da 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 on your laptop. And I said, what? I'm not on my laptop. I'm on my phone. I called you. She says, we can't do this unless you're on your laptop. Aww. Go inside, get on Wi-Fi, call me back. I said, okay. I walked inside after having been on an hour phone call with her talking mm -hmm. to support. I couldn't do it. I did not have the mental capacity to go through that anymore. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. Well, that turned into three more months. So I call again, but now six months have gone by. They no longer have the photos stored. Gone. Oh, we, when, when I was working through that with her, I figured out I probably lost from years 2008 to 2013. So the first five years um, of my children's lives. Yeah. Completely gone. Every childhood photo, picture, memory. And you talked the other day about how I've lived multiple lives. <laughs> and I kind of liken it to like, well, there's that part of my life literally washed away. Yeah. So I've just been 
I've kind of accepted it, but I get sick about it. I can't talk about pictures anymore because I get sad every single time I think that I lost all of those pictures. Mm-hmm. About two weeks ago, the idea came to me, go back and look at that original hard drive that you were c- cutting the pictures from and see if they're still there. And did you? I did. And? Every single one was still there. Wow. That's awesome. Bawling, alligator tears, because for almost a year and a half now, I lived with accepting that those pictures were gone. And it was a reminder to me that we are all very blessed people, but sometimes you have to pay attention because it's in the details where we will see evidence of greater help and greater need. And it's there for us. You just have to know you have to be willing to look for it. You will be looked out for. Um, You just have to be able to look for it. And uh, by doing so, you'll, you'll be blessed. Totally agree. Look for the good. Look for the good and be the good to others. Thank you everyone for joining us. This is Chrishell Fulmer. And I'm Natalia Bonner. And until next time, make it a great day. <laughs>